Children's Church. If you can follow Miss Sarah back over there, that'd be great. Uh, I, I think most of us here know that um, next Sunday I am going to Bastrop in view of a call, Calvary Baptist Church, sweet congregation, uh, love the Lord, very outreach-oriented. I think it's a fantastic situation, but everything's normal here because I've, I've been here for 15 and a half years, and it's all within the realm of fantastic. The staff is good. The people are good. Everything's good. It's good. Uh, but I know the Lord's leading me on, and I also recognize, and I don't want to be coy about this, that transitions like this can be, well, they can create a certain amount of unrest or upheaval. Uh, it's the, the, the time between senior pastors, and the whole world doesn't revolve around senior pastors. The world revolves around Jesus, or it ought to. But in that time between pastors, it usually lasts about a, a year and a half. That's how long it was between the, my predecessor and me coming. It's very standard. And so I know it can kind of create some unease. And so this morning, what I wanted to do was just kind of talk about some very important things that I want Main Street Baptist Church to remember. Because in the interim period, some really good things can happen. About 15 years ago, 16 years ago, First Baptist Church in Georgetown went through an interim period, and they grew by about 600. Now, they get about 50 visitors every Sunday, so maybe that's not a fair comparison. But it was it was amazing uh, what happened in the interim period. So I know good things can happen, but I also know things can get a little weird and um, move in bad directions. And so this morning, I wanted to be very clear and present a memorable seven-point sermon. And some of you are saying, oh, it's seven points. I'm not going to remember it. Okay, I'm sorry. But I I think I'm going to help you by referring to a story that you should remember because you already know it, okay? The story is the story of the three little pigs. Now, before I lose you and you say, you're you're crazy, it's just an illustrative uh, source. It's not an authoritative source. This is just to help you remember Come back next week when Brett preaches on Snow White and the Seven Doors. That's going to be really good. But but here this morning, I just want to tell you the story of the three pigs and tie everything back to that. And if you've not heard the story of the three pigs, that's really good. Because if you, if you remember that story, it's probably scarred you for life. But here it is, the story of the three pigs, kind of the essence of it. Once upon a time, there were three little pigs. They set out on a journey to find their fortunes. The first little pig built a house of straw. The second pig built a house of sticks. And the third little pig built a house of bricks. The big bad wolf, as they were leaving, by the way, their dad said, watch out for the big bad wolf. And then sure enough, the big bad wolf came to the house of the first little pig and said, little piggy, let me in, let me in, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And the little piggy said, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. You know, like, I'm a man. I'm all grown up. I got a beard like Alan. And so the the wolf huffed and he puffed and he blew that house in. And the little piggy ran to the house of the next little piggy. And then, of course, the wolf chases after and the wolf says, knocks on the door of the house of sticks and says, little piggy, let me in, let me in. uh, Or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And the little piggy says, you know, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And so the wolf puffed and he puffed and he blew that house in. Then the two little pigs ran to the home of the third little pig. And the wolf chased after, knocked on the door and said, little piggy, let me in, let me in. Or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And not by the hair of my chinny chin chin, said the little pig. And so the wolf huffed and he puffed, but he could not blow the house down because 
The house was made out of bricks. Now, the old wolf was a wily wolf, and so he climbed up on the roof to look for another way in. But the pigs knew that the wolf was on the roof, and so they started a roaring fire in the fireplace and put on a large kettle of water. So when the wolf made his way down the chimney, kerplash, the wolf was boiled in that boiling pot of water. And the three little piggies lived happily ever after the end. Okay, that's the story. And again, it's just an illustrative story. And and what I mean is, as often over the next few months or year and a half or however long, as you think about the interim period, I want you to go back to this story because this story gives us seven very important things that I want Main Street Baptist Church to remember until things settle or really, you know, forever. Okay, here's the seven points. And because I want it to be memorable, I'm going to tell you the points up front, and then we're going to go over the points again. So here it is. There is a big, big bad wolf that wants to blow down the house. Number two, be careful where you put your faith. Number three, don't be lazy about how you build. Build with diligence. Number four, pay attention to the building materials you use. Number five, no one person or group of persons is foundationally important. Number six, only Jesus is the strong foundation. And then finally, the big bad wolf will be looking for a way in until he's dead and gone. Okay, that's the illustrative source. Now let's go to the real source because there's only one authoritative source, and that's God who does speak to us through his word. And so with that, let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. The text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 4, and we're going to go all the way through verse 15. For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere little piggies? I mean, like mere humans. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? And then he tells us, they are servants through whom you believed. And each has the role the Lord has given, because the Lord gets to assign the roles, and we do the role the Lord gives. I planted, Apollos watered, But God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation As a skilled master builder and another builds on it, but each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is five-point Calvinism. Actually, no. Uh, Let me read that again. That foundation is free will Arminianism. No. That foundation is Southern Baptist tradition. No. That foundation is the ministerial staff. Can you say no? Thank you. That's good. That foundation is the deacon body. Some of y'all look scared on that one. Uh, That foundation is the trustees. That foundation is the congregational form of church governance. That foundation is a particular chart on how the world began and how the world will all end. No. Okay. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Okay. I'm so glad y'all didn't say no. Uh, 
If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only through fire. May God bless reading his word. You may be seated. Now, um, we're going to, there's so much to cover, so we're just going to jump into this. What are the seven things we need to remember? The first one is this. There is a big, big bad wolf who wants to blow down the house. And you say, well, Ernest, where do you see that in the text? Well, it's all over the Bible. But I do think it's worth pointing out that here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing what has been widely regarded by Bible scholars as the most disastrously difficult, messed up situation of any church that gets addressed in the New Testament. You could argue that maybe there's one or two that are worse in the first, you know, second and third chapter of uh, Revelation, but it's a, it's a disastrous church. And, and Paul hears about the problems that are going on in Corinth just three years after he's gone. 36 months later, he's getting word. This place is a, is a wreck. Now, I think that if the Apostle Paul were there and all of these problems were going on, he probably wouldn't have left. Probably he felt comfortable leaving because things were at least okay, if not doing pretty well. Now, you might say, well, maybe he left because it was a disaster. But it certainly does seem that he is surprised by the news of how everything has fallen apart. And it's happened with within just 36 months. And you say, well, how, how could things go to pot so quickly? Let me just remind you of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, that God has a design for his church. He has plans for Main Street Baptist Church. But God's not the only one who has designs on this place. You have an enemy. And the, the Bible talks about how the enemy is, of course, threatened by the opposition and even annoyed because there are, are two forces that are battling, cosmic forces. There's God and, and the force of God, and then there's Satan and, and those who are aligned with him. And what makes us especially annoying is that we changed sides. It's not just that we're fighting against the enemy. It's that once he was our friend, once we were with him. That's not a really great setup for Satan to go, okay, you know, whatever, we'll just leave, leave that alone. No. Here's how it's put in the Bible with regards to the different alignments and us having changed sides. The Apostle Paul is writing to the people in Ephesus and talks about how they were once dead in the, in the transgressions and their sins in which you used to live. When you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The enemy of our God has become our enemy as well. And so just, just recognize there is one who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We, we have an enemy. There's a wolf who wants to bring the house down. Uh, and don't, don't, don't be deceived or think otherwise. Uh, beyond that cosmic backdrop, we also need to know very practically that we need to be careful where we put our faith. 
the Apostle Paul is taking issue with the, with the Corinthians for having placed their faith in anyone other than Jesus, who is the true foundation. Paul has basically communicated, look, I was the one through whom the message came, but I didn't baptize anyone in my name. And there are a lot of people that were aligning themselves with Paul, maybe because Paul reminded them of how it used to be or, or represented their tradition. And then there's Apollos, who's maybe a more charismatic presence and represents what's contemporary. We don't know all the particulars and ins and outs, but we do know this. Paul is absolutely flabbergasted that anyone is placing any faith in any of them because their, their greatness, Paul explains, comes only from the fact that they've been graced by God, called by God, given a role by God, servants of God, placed by God where God has placed them. That's, that's it. It's all God. And they recognize they work for God because they have to be master builders, skilled builders. It's their responsibility. They don't show up and just say, hey, a building needs to go up. Everybody just do your thing. Or there's a field that needs planting and we're going to harvest in a year. Just, you know, get after it or y'all just tell me what to do. No, they knew their particular role and that was servant of the Lord of no one else. Which, by the way, just a side note, and I hope you take this well. At the point when the church does give consideration or calls another senior pastor, however these things work out, I I do hope that you will not call someone who thinks that he works for you or for any other person in this church. He does not. He works for the Lord. And that is not saying that the pastor has to have big shot-itis, okay? That Paul doesn't have it. Notice again what Paul says about himself. He says, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. It's all God. We're privileged to work for God, but as a pastor, as an overseer, which the Bible describes a pastor's overseer ten times as frequently as it does pastor. You might actually say that the overseer is occasionally called a pastor, not that the pastor is sometimes called an overseer. Paul knew his particular role. But he also recognized, as I work for the Lord, I am always only a servant. Here's how I look at myself, and I think most people who are in ministry, eventually they come to this point. I'm just the mud over which the river flows. At, at, At my best, I'm maybe the rocks. But God is the water of life. He's the river, and I'm just privileged to be a conduit. But I do know my place. That was free. Uh, bonus. Okay. Moving on. What else do we need to know? And I'm sorry. I think I've got <coughs> uh, Ebola. Don't. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Man, I've never told somebody I had Ebola and had them laugh. Y'all are terrible. Repent. Um, oh. Oh, actually, I actually think I have bronchitis. But it was not caused by Ebola, so <coughs> don't don't feel so bad. Uh, also, don't be lazy, or or maybe more positively put, <clears throat> be diligent about how you build. I'm sorry, I'm going to take a break. I actually lost my voice yesterday. Now, if I lose my voice, don't clap. Okay, that, that really will hurt my feelings. Um, don't be lazy or build with diligence. That is, look, the reason the pigs were in such a poor position is they took shortcuts. You, you can't do that. 
When you're working for God, you do it with diligence, with, with all of your heart, with all your soul. You do all of your work as unto the Lord. And, and what that means practically, in an interim period, you don't back off. You, can, you still charge ahead because you're doing your work as unto the Lord. And you have enough to do. And when you're looking for a, a pastor, as you follow the process, it just takes time. It takes prayer. You're like, oh, why can't you hurry up? It's been six months. That just doesn't happen that way. You've got to understand when people take shortcuts, almost always it's regrettable. You do that on your house, you're going to regret it. You do that in your relationships, you're going to regret it. You do that in a church, you take shortcuts, you're going to regret it. Be careful to build with diligence. And be careful about the materials that you that you use. <coughs> now, last I checked, bricks are more expensive than straw and 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 sticks. But you've got to pay attention to the materials that you you use. And the reason you pay attention to the materials is because it's God's house. It's it's not yours. Gene and I have been here in Georgetown for about 15 years. I'm so sorry. Um, we, we love it. We love our house. We bet we raised our kids in that home. We, uh, remodeled the kitchen. We fixed up the backyard. When we first came, it was just, you know, dry, brownish grass in the, you know, sticked up backyard. I mean, it, there was nothing there. There were no plants. There was no, now that, now it looks great. Our back porch looks fantastic. Um, we've repainted the house. We've done flooring, blah, blah, blah. We love our house. But I know it's just a house. It's just, you know, material stuff. But we're going to miss it. So as we relocate, in my mind, I'm just thinking, my goal, at least with regards to our next dwelling, is that Gina would be happy with it. Um, it's not that I don't care, and it's not that it's not going to be in my name also, but in my mind, it's for her. And if she's, if she's not happy, I'm not going to be happy. And it's not just because I'm scared of her. Kind of. But it's mainly because I love her. I love my wife. So I just look at it like it's, it's hers. And it's her world and I'm living it. And I'm, I'm glad. When it comes to God, we don't just sort of feel that way. In reality, there's only one name on the deed to the church. And it's just God. It's not you and it's not me. We didn't pay for it. He paid for it. Oh, and it happened to be his blood that paid for the church. It's his property. And I'm not talking about the facility. The facility is just where the church gets together and meets. You've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so collectively, we're all his. What that means is there's a wrong way to build the church. And then there's God's way. And that's it. So when it comes to building the temple, you look in the Old Testament and it's very, very clear. Here's what I want. Here's how you do it. Da, 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 da. Why is God so picky? Well, because it's God's house. And so he, he has certain materials that he has in mind when we put things together. And here's how it's put. Of course, this is pictorial or metaphorical. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it has been revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work uh, that he has built survives, 
he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Now, the text isn't saying that we're saved by works. Of course not. Uh, but we do have things that we build, and we want them to last, and we want to be rewarded, and our reward is for God to be happy with what it is that we've done because we did what it is that he tells us to do. Okay, but you say, well, why would God take a flamethrower to what it is that we've built for him? Well, if you've used gold and silver and, you know, precious stones, none of that's going to burn up. There's no problem with God testing it because we should be building with something that is already time-tested and will last. The other things that burn up, well, they ought to burn up, and we shouldn't have been building with those in the first place because God said not to. In fact, if we started building with those things, we need to tear them out of the walls because it's all going to burn up in the end anyways. So be careful. And so, but what, what, is, what is the gold, what is the silver, what is the, the precious stones, what do they represent? The Bible doesn't tell us here, okay? Obviously, it's stuff that lasts. Obviously, it's something that is beautiful. What could that be? I'm going to mention three things. There's probably lots of other things. Love. First uh, Corinthians tells us that love in, endures, that, that love lasts. There's a, another thing I'd say. Humility is the very character, nature, and action of God always. And then I would also have to say, how about the revelation of God? The flowers fade, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You take those things that are beautiful, the things that are lasting, that's what you build with. What's the straw? What's the hay? What's the other stuff that burns up? Oh, my, thank you. You're so sweet. Uh, what, what do you, what's the stuff that burns up in the end? Well, I'll give you some suggestions. You go over here to, uh, Galatians chapter five. And, uh, Paul gives us a little list of things that are associated with the evil one and with the fallen flesh. Characteristics of people who are living under the influence of the wolf. Hatred. Discord, uncontrolled temper, dissension, factions, conceit, jealousy, envy, sexual morality, impurity, debauchery. It's not a great list, but if you've been around churches for very long, on occasion you will encounter people who, who almost look at the discord or the, the, the factiousness as a badge of honor. I actually had somebody at one time brag that they were a member of this and that faction. I'm like, well, you know, even if you feel like you're on the right side, you should feel ashamed that there's any division at all. This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at. And this is what's going on in the church of Corinth. There are some people that say, we belong to Paul, we belong to Apollos. And I don't know that one side was all right and the other side was all wrong. But everybody should have been equally grieved over the reality that there was division and factiousness. And along with that, generally conceit and bad tempers flaring up within the church. You you can't do anything good with that. It has to be dealt with. Beyond being careful about the materials that we use, especially during an interim period, um, please remember that no one person or group of persons is foundationally important. And what I mean by foundationally important is, is foundationally important. People are important. But I'm not foundationally important. No one here is foundationally important. That means people are replaceable. And uh, I don't mean to, to be unkind to anybody, but if you really do see, I'm just the riverbed, I'm just the mud, I'm just the, the rocks over which he flows, well, God can flow in and through and over anybody. The Apostle Paul's life is a demonstration of this. If God could use Paul, God could use anybody. 
In fact, the thing that kept God from using Paul was the very thing that keeps God from using us, and that is us boasting in ourselves. When Paul finally got to the place where he could no longer boast in his own righteousness, that's when God got to using him. When Paul got to the attitude or disposition of, well, it's not about me, it's about you, and you can use anybody, and we're just jars of clay that hold the you know, eternal weight of the glory of God, well, at that point, you can be used. And so I, I do look at myself as replaceable. I look at our staff as replaceable. And I'm not trying to be unkind because our staff looks at themselves in that way. I know that Alan looks at himself that way. I know Jonathan looks at himself that way. I know that Sarah looks at herself that way. I know that Brett looks at himself that way. I know that Christy Rich looks at herself that way. And, and it's true. But this is also bonus material for you. When people look at themselves as replaceable because they are, those are precisely the kind of people that you want to keep if you can. Because those are the kind of people that God uses. But I'm replaceable. I, I love the, I don't know if I love the story, it kind of scares me. I, I heard about a pastor who went to a congregation and he and the music minister butted heads. They could not get along. And it began to spill over into the services. And so the, the pastor one Sunday preached a sermon on the need to be committed and to serve one another. And, and the music minister closed with the song, We Shall Not Be Moved. So the next Sunday, the pastor preached on tithing and the necessity of everybody giving to the congregation and supporting it financially. And the music minister closed with the song, uh, Jesus Paid It All. The next Sunday, the pastor again preached a sermon, a passionate sermon on the need to be kind to one another and to not gossip. And the closing song was, I love to tell the story. The next Sunday, the pastor said, you know, God has called me here. I think maybe God is calling me on. Maybe the Lord is leading me elsewhere. And the music minister closed with the song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. The next Sunday, of course, the, the pastor did resign, said that God was moving him somewhere else. And the music minister closed with the final song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. So if, uh, if my last Sunday, which is likely, hopefully, May 7th, if you close with What a Friend We Have in Jesus, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know, Alan. Uh, now, you know, you look at that story and you go, well, well wait, should the, shouldn't the pastor have, like, done that to the music guy? I'm like, I'm not so sure. Uh, because, you know, sometimes, even if you feel like you're on the right side of things, at a certain point you go, you know, I'm replaceable. And I don't mean to insinuate anything here. I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes, even if you feel like you're on the right side, you're on the wrong side if you insist on being the right side. You understand that? You can be on the wrong side if there's not love, if there's no humility, if you're putting your faith in the hairs of your chinny-chin-chin more uh, than you're putting your faith in the foundation who is Jesus. Because as wonderful as you may be, and you, and you may be, you're still optional building material. Now, I'm saying... You're not foundationally important. I'm not foundationally important. That's not to say that you're not important. That's not what Paul's saying either. As a good shepherd, he gave his life to the sheep. That didn't mean he was full of himself, but he did give his life to the sheep, and he paid a price like probably no one else in history outside of Jesus did for the ministry that he did. People are important. One of the core values of our church is people matter, and they do. I was uh, recently going through my phone because I had 100, uh, well, no, not 100, 1,500, 1,500 contacts in my phone. And I thought, boy, I need to clean this up. 
So for the last three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm telling you, it takes a long time. I went through all those contacts, and I removed about 950. Some of them were people that I'd known and got to know through my children in their schools, and they blessed me. Some of them were people in this church, as you might imagine, some who've died to go on and be with Jesus, some who've moved out of the community, some who really blessed my life while they were a part of it, and some, a few, that cursed my life. And, uh, and, and the reason it, they, I felt so blessed by some and the reason I felt so beaten by others along the way, that happens, is because all the people in my phone were important to me. And some of them, even those that I removed, they, they still are uh, important to me. You go through that exercise and you just think people are important. The materials of the gold and the silver and the precious stones, they're not the foundation. But there's a lasting impact and there's a beauty. And what would a home be without the walls and the hangings on them. Um, y'all are important to me. And, uh, and I have been made to feel appropriately important over the l- last week. I, uh, I got an email from Dave McCoy. Dave and, excuse me. Dave and Gwen stay at home. They get, they stay connected on, um, our live streaming. Gwen has uh, myasthenia gravis, and so she has to be very careful not to contract anything or be exposed. And and so, but they stay in contact, and I hear from them from time to time. And every once in a while, Dave gives me some correction to my sermons. It's fantastic, really. Now I'm sure he's watching right now. And 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 one of my the highlights of my life was when I got to teach a hermeneutics class with Dave McCoy. It's great. But I recently got this email, and I thought it was it was precious to me. He said, I wish you only the best in your new situation. Gwen and I have been praying for years that more people will get to hear your informative and uplifting sermons. It looks as if this is the way God has answered our prayers. And I thought that was very kind and, uh, and humbling. Not just the comments, but the fact that they've been praying for me the way they have for years. People are important. I'm important to many of you, you're important to me. I understand that. But we're not foundationally important. Not like Jesus. Um, and if at any point you found, find your faith in a person or a group of persons, even though they may be wonderful persons. And I'm not making fun of the staff or the deacons or their congregational process or Baptist faith and message or whatever. These are all important things to us, but they're not the foundation. They're not like, they're not like Jesus. Um, I, I also want to remind you while I'm talking about this, uh, you know, this, this whole thing of uh, superiority or finding your rootedness in Jesus. There's no room for somebody, there ought to be no room for anybody to boast in themselves. Because I want you to think about this. Here's the Apostle Paul. Okay, he is probably one of the most top seven most influential people in history. Sacred history, secular history, doesn't matter. He planted more churches than anybody else in his time. Almost half of the New Testament comes through the Apostle Paul, at least half the books. And, and the Apostle Paul says of himself, I'm not anything. Okay, now, if Paul has that assessment of himself, um, 
if I were to have a different assessment or you were to have a different assessment, that would be the height of puffed-up, arrogant foolishness. Unless you think you're the Apostle Paul plus some. There's no room for superiority within the church. There are different roles and positions, but there is absolutely no room for superiority in the church, not when you understand uh, the gospel. Here's how Paul put it last week. We saw this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I didn't draw a lot of attention to it, but he says, Who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? Look, I, again, I'm the mud or the rocks over which the river flows. That's now it ought to be a ministry. And I want you to know I've never said a word, I've never given a blessing that I didn't somehow in some way first receive it from someone or something else. Uh, that's even true with sermons. Um, Rick Warren, how many of y'all have heard of Rick Warren? Surely you've, I mean, he's one of the most influential people of the last century in terms of Christianity, and I think he's great. But he said this one time, I thought it was pretty good. He said, if you, if you copy somebody else's sermon, that's plagiarism. But if you use two or three sources, you're a pastor. And if you use seven sources, you're a research scholar. Now, he was kind of kidding, but the point was, we use other people all the time. I don't always, you know, I don't really do one source. But, you know, the reality is God gave me a brain. I, I wouldn't be able to say what I say if it weren't for my history, experiences positive and negative, my education. Of course, there's the primary source, which is the Bible, and then there's the Holy Spirit, and then there's many of you and other things that I've read. I, I honestly think I've probably never said a single word, blessed another individual, except for the fact that I first received something from someone else, ultimately God. And in a more substantial way, theologically, you've never blessed anybody with anything. Financial resources, your time, your energy, your focus, you've never blessed anything except for the fact that God, by the grace of Jesus Christ, first contributed to you. There's no room for boasting when you're the mud beneath the river. But it is a blessing to have his life flowing through you to other people. Deeply blessed, but, but no superiority. Why? Because there's only one foundation. Only Jesus is the strong foundation, for no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus talks a lot about foundations, and the reason Jesus talks a lot about foundations is because if your foundation isn't right, you can do the best job you could possibly do on the building, but the doors are going to stick, the windows aren't going to slide, the roof is going to you know, let water in at some point, the walls are going to crack. It all comes down to the foundation, and that foundation is Jesus. So my encouragement to you is pretty simple. Stay uh, rooted in Jesus. Keep him as the foundation don't see anyone or anyone else as foundationally important, although you are important in your role, and part of your role is to make sure that people keep focusing on the foundation. And as you do this, passionately, effortfully building for him and using the right materials of love and humility and the, the word, 
Well, well, then you'll be protected. Because let me just remind you this. There is a wolf who wants to blow down the house. But the last point I want to leave you with is this, that the, uh, the big bad wolf is going to keep looking for a way in until he's dead and gone. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God in the Lord, in the strength of his might, the armor of God be in Christ that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He'll climb the roof. He'll shimmy down the, the, the chimney. You keep the fire going. You keep the water boiling as you remain in Christ and, and deeply rooted in him. Because again, let me just remind you, Corinth fell apart just like that. Be careful. Now, that all sounds kind of negative, but here's the positive side. If it's not about me, and it's not about you, and it is about Jesus, and it's an unshakable foundation, why ultimately would any of us worry? Really? Jesus isn't changing. Jesus isn't going anywhere. Jesus still had plans. The only way things are going to mess up is if we get away from Jesus. And here's what I believe about you. You're not going to do that. You're not going to forsake him. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, uh, you're, you're, you're good to us, and uh, we do not deserve you. We don't deserve to be used by you. We are privileged when you do. But we do have these uh, ways about us of kind of wandering and forgetting things. Help us to not be forgetful of the, of the basic truth that the Apostle Paul is communicating to us in this passage. Keep us humble. Keep us loving. Keep us in your word. Keep us rooted in Christ. Help us to not take ourselves too seriously, although we are important. And uh, help us to keep our guard up in the best of ways, not against one another, because no one in this building nor the other building or part of this particular body of believers is the enemy. We just have one, but he's out to get us, and there is a lot at stake. Lord, you've given Main Street a, a calling. You've given us a, a great location. You've brought together some fantastic people. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will understand just how privileged and, and honored we are. To be used by you. Help us to keep it always about you. Help us to, ha- to grow in our faith. And help us, Lord, at the, at the end of however long the next period is, to be able to look back on things and see you had a plan and, uh, and you were good and you're faithful. May we hang on to that as we ought because you will never leave us nor forsake us. You never change. May we hang on to that with both hands, never let go. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand as we continue and then close in worship.